Welcome to the podcast Down There by Laura McCaig, a physical therapist who is absolutely dedicated to educate, inspire, and empower others to discover that pelvic health and wellness is important, that it doesn't have to be embarrassing or intimidating, and that it can actually be fun to learn about. So let's have some fun learning today. Now on to the show. This episode of Down There is brought to you by Laura McCaig Physical Therapy, where we help men and women find real solutions to leakage, pain, and other problems down there. Let us help you regain your dignity, stay fit and active, and enjoy your family time, social life, and intimate relationships again. You can find us at www.lauramccaigpt.com. All right, well, good morning, everybody. I am Laura McKeg, owner of Laura McKeg Physical Therapy in Overland Park, Kansas, and I have a special guest with me today. This is William Mills. He is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he is owner of Doc Mills Concierge Therapy. He's a physical therapist and a personal trainer and he specializes also in pelvic floor physical therapy. So um, William and I met about, what was it? A year and a half ago? Yeah, something like that. Well, yeah. first off, thanks for having me. Yes. The, this is going to be fun. This is good. Yeah, I, but I think it was, it was about a year ago. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, around this time, actually, I think. Yeah. Uh -huh. For the mastermind group. Right. We were in a mastermind coaching group, um, business coaching, personal development. And so um, have, I think we've seen each other in meetings in Florida mm -hmm. several times. So um, thank you for coming on our podcast called Down There. So we're going to talk about That's a good name. things down there and um, specifically prostate cancer. And um, one... It's kind of unusual to find a guy who does pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, I think it's unusual to find anyone who does pelvic floor PT, but um, tell us, William, a little bit about how you got into physical therapy and just how you found this specialty. I know that's one thing people ask me a lot. How did you get into doing this? Yeah, yeah, so I, the reason I got into physical therapy was because when I was a kid, my dad tore his ACL at a softball tournament for my sis, um, that my sister was playing in. And uh, whenever, whenever we were kids, she, she played travel softball. So this was like a week-long thing. He tore his ACL uh, prior to the opening ceremonies, and he got, he got taken out wow. from being able to do any kind of weight bearing, like it was, it was bad. So we got home and he, uh, he had the surgery he was going to PT and, um, I just really enjoyed the, the relationship that I was able to observe between the physical therapist who was treating him and him and, you know, the, the PT basically being able to, to be the guide of healing. So 
whenever it's time to choose what I wanted to do with my life when I was 18 and going to LSU, like getting into LSU, I didn't really have anything else in mind. And then whenever I was in college, I ended up tearing my ACL as well. Um, and that kind of solidified it. Oh, like father, like son, huh? I know, right? Yeah. And he's worn his three times in his life. So hopefully not quite <laughs> yeah. like son, because I don't want to do that shit again. <laughs> no. it's, it's not a, that's not a fun rehab and it's long. Um, but you know, it was worth it. So, uh, fast forward to going to PT school. I, I had chosen in my mind that I would most likely have to own my own business when I was in school because my passion was, was treating CrossFit athletes and I wanted to be in a CrossFit setting. And I knew that, you know, creating that, it's a dime a dozen to just jump into that and be an employee. And I realized that I was most likely going to have to create it. So fast forward to graduating, um, I had an opportunity to come back to Baton Rouge and, and work at a clinic that was cash based where I'd be able to do that. But the catch was, uh, the owner wanted me to, the owner was a pelvic floor PT and she wanted me to, uh, to train under her to be a pelvic floor therapist, which I was like, you want me to do what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Uh, cause that was not being a pelvic floor therapist wasn't on my radar at all. And I don't treat women with the pelvic floor, um, issues I treat just men mm-hmm. and the plan was you know she was going to treat she can treat both I could treat men if I ever want to get into the women's domain I can um, but I don't have to mm-hmm. well um, I realized I kind of came to a second realization that you know I just needed to kind of do my own thing um, from a you know, life and goal creating standpoint and ended up stepping away from that, but I was already in it. So I just, you know, (laughs) continued on with it. Yeah. Um, and I kind of took some time off from doing it, but I'm finally, uh, I'm, I'm growing that side of the business and, and seeing more of those patients and hanging out with more urologists. Um, so here we are. But yeah, I, I would say my the big point there is I, it was never on my radar. It kind of just fell into into my lap. Okay. Yeah. I think if you would have if you would have told me in PT <laughs> school that I would be doing this, I would have said you're crazy. And that's what all my classmates say too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was gonna be I'm the CrossFit guy. I'm gonna be doing shoulders, necks, backs, and and knees day in and day out and then yeah now i do now i do men's health yeah i do do butt stuff (laughs) well i i graduated a a few years before you did quite a few probably and um we didn't even know about pelvic floor pt yeah and so you know i practiced and i took a really long break um from the 
practice and um, it was because of a personal trainer decided to get my license back and that's when I heard about it it was a colleague of mine she's like hey I think you'd make a great pelvic floor physical therapist and I was like what is that and then she told me what that was and like okay that's really weird and people really do that but you know checked it out and for me it was a really good fit so it's not something everyone is wired to do, as right. you know, and, um, you know, finding someone who's a guy who, is, who does men's health, I think that's really cool. And I, I wish more men would get that as a specialty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got a, a unique background that you're also a personal trainer. Yeah. So I was, I was a CrossFit coach and weightlifting coach prior to. Okay. Going to physical therapy school. Mm -hmm. um, but one point I wanted to make whenever you were just talking, the, the thing, the thing about, you know, more men not being in it and why, uh, why I, I had originally came to the conclusion that I could do it is it's very, it's very much problem solving just like any other physical therapy issue a physical therapist could come across it's it's the same stuff really like the the majority of my first session with men is um subjective hearing their story you know what what led up to this what's the what's the functional problem what's the health related problem what's the sexual problem what's the incontinence problem like we just paint a picture for all those things. And then this is how we're going to start to tackle all of those things. Mm -hmm. And then we just proceed with the process. Yeah. Process is the easy part. Once you have all the information laid out. Um, but yeah, so the, and then with this, the personal training side, um, all of the research that I've looked at with prostate cancer as well as with life in general, um, you know, decreasing all rate mortality through strength and conditioning has been a, a known percentage for a while. Um, and recently the Australian physios have, uh, have been doing research on how that same kind of all rate mortality decrease can apply to prostate cancer patients. Um, so I've been, you know, planning and scheming some different programs that I'd like to start with people. But you know, like my middle to end stage rehab for anything looks like strength and conditioning mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Like I'm going to have in the initial phases, I'm going to teach a guy how to do a deadlift and a squat so they don't pee whenever they get up and out of their chair yeah, and, you know, coordinate the Kegel and the pelvic floor activation with the bracing and all that stuff. Um, so it is more than just doing Kegels, right? Oh my gosh. Is it? <laughs> it's way more than doing yes. Kegels. Thank and you. most dudes, most dudes that, uh, that think they know how to do a Kegel don't actually know how to do a Kegel. Or, or at least all of a Kegel. Right. It's either they just, you know, squeeze their butt 
or they'd use every <clears throat> they use every muscle in their body to to like co-contract and get this little tiny contraction out of the pelvic floor muscles. Yes. <laughs> and then we have to go through a process of relearning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think you made a good point there, William, that, you know, and this is our, this is our topic is strength training for guys who have prostate cancer, um, have gone through the treatment or have gone through surgery. Strength training doesn't just mean being at the gym and lifting heavy weights. You need that strength training to do functional activities like strength training down there. Yes, strength training down there. And um, also, you know, besides the, the two eyes, incontinence and impotence or erectile dysfunction, there's a lot of other issues facing guys, physical issues like nutrition, but a big one is how the treatments, especially chemo, affect the body. You've got the fatigue that you're dealing with if you're on um, treatments like Lupron, which really, whew, really screws up your hormones. Then you've got an increased risk of things like osteoporosis, you have an increased risk of loss of muscle mass, loss of bone mass. And I don't think that is really being addressed at all. And as we both know, and the studies show, strength training can really help with that. Yep. So for a guy who's had prostate cancer or is going through treatment, um, can you address that issue? You know, how would they get started with that if they don't have access to a PT? And I would guess you don't have to be just a pelvic PT to help someone with this. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, I would say the majority of physical therapists who are in the, the cash domain, the out of network domain, at this point or more so you know we talk about as a business owner having multiple streams of revenue mm -hmm. most uh most out of network physical therapists business are set up to where you know it, it's not just uh getting someone to return to prior level of function it's getting them past that and working on performance goals and health goals because the more capacity uh, from a health strength and conditioning standpoint, we can improve upon the less likely you are to have the issue in the future. It's the exact same thing with prostate cancer rehab or pelvic floor in general, pelvic floor PT in general. It's, uh, I, I explained it I recently had a, a guy that I started seeing who had uh, a shoulder replacement and he's had a whole lot of stuff done to his uh done to his pelvic floor and his bladder from a prostate uh cancer case 12 years ago he had a lot of radiation he's had a lot of scarring in his bladder so he's had a lot of uh cystoscopes he calls the roto rooter oh boy yeah uh, those are no fun yeah it, it sounds awful and he's yeah. also had a lot of kidney stones problems it, his his urethra has been through the ringer mm -hmm. say that 
but whenever we were initially talking about, you know, what it looks like to learn how to do Kegels from a sequencing standpoint, you know, when to do it, how to do it, why you need to do it, how this makes sense with anything else that you're doing from a lifting standpoint. Before we got into that, he was like, I know how to do a Kegel. Uh, whenever I had it, um, my urologist said, just, you know, go and sit on the toilet and think about, uh, stopping, stopping your pee. And that was it. That was, that was his level of, uh, that was his level of, okay, this is how I do a Kegel. I, I said, okay, got it. So let's think about, let's think about your shoulder replacement and let's think about if we're if we're basing this on on a level of function not necessarily pain just function if uh if i said okay we're gonna do this to your, we're gonna work on your shoulder and rehab it and the best that we got is you're gonna be able to pick your arm up about 30 degrees in front of you and never go past 90 and surely not do it with like a can of soup in your hand to put overhead. So that'd be like maybe this. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, I would say the equivalent of your Kegel ability, just being able to stop the flow of urine while you're seated. Right. There's more, there's more there. There's like, what about jumping Mm -hmm. or, jogging or standing up or sneezing exactly like so it it's a it's a spectrum and the spectrum is the spectrum requires load mm-hmm. across yeah. the spectrum load is load in, in the sense of like you know for for the kegels in, in terms of how i you know treat and train that is a lot like anything else I start with the basics to get them to feel it. And then from there, it's just all application. Now that application could be quicker for other people. It could be heavier for other people, but going back to the idea of, you know, teaching someone how to squat and hinge to get out of their chair without peeing on themselves. You know, my next step with that is, okay, well let's do a kettlebell swing. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more explosive. Oh, did you pee? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, let's do 15. That kind of stuff. It's just, it's mm-hmm. just body preparation. And, you know, I talk, I talk to my patients about how we're just putting your body in as many positions of variability for you to be able to control as possible. So if you do find yourself in a compromised position when you're doing something that doesn't even have to be in the gym, just in life your body's going to know what to do and where to go to yeah. decrease the chance of you getting injured. It's the same thing with decreasing the chance of you peeing on yourself right. after you've had your prostate removed. Yeah, I have an example of that from a, a guy that I treated. Now, he didn't have the prostate cancer, but he had the TERP yeah. surgery and had a terrible time with leakage afterward. Got to the point where he was doing pretty well, pretty well controlled, but it was really affecting his golf game. Yeah. He came in one day, he was mad. Ooh, because he would pee every time he'd lift his golf clubs out of the trunk. 
And it got to the point he stopped. He was thinking of just not playing, which made him more grumpy, which then his wife is like, can you please help with this? So what we did, and this is why I love having my own practice. I'm like, let's take it out to the parking lot. His golf clubs were in the car. So take we got so out to his car and we practiced utilizing that pelvic floor contraction when he was doing the lifting. And he, he got a upper body mechanics, so he didn't hurt his back. Yeah. And so he did that. I'm like, so go ahead. And he lifted the golf clubs out. I'm like, did you pee? He goes, no, I didn't. So just stuff like that. It's, I always say, you know, you can know how to do a Kegel, but if you don't know how to do it in the right way or coordinate it with your body, yeah, it doesn't matter. And my other thing, I've got a video on this on my YouTube channel. Don't do Kegels while you're peeing because that messes up the neuromuscular connection between your brain and your bladder. Yeah and can actually end up to having more urgency or more overactive bladder issues. So right. I always, you know, say that's not the best advice because your pelvic floor is supposed to be relaxed. Yeah. When you pee, not tight. Anyway, there's my, there's my little rant. Speaking of that, <laughs> my dad, so my dad is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And Basically, I'm I'm pretty I'm convinced that he just uses Instagram to send me random posts that he finds hilarious, <laughs> and uh, he he uh, recently sent me this this meme, and I'm gonna I'm gonna post it probably later this week um, for for pelvic floor stuff, but thinking about how we teach people not to use their pelvic floor whenever they're peeing because of it, it throws it off and it needs to be relaxed. He sent me this quote that I'm pretty sure was in a bathroom stall. Okay. It says, don't be ashamed to fart while you urinate. There is no rain without thunder. <laughs> Matthew Weinman. <laughs> there you go. Quote of the day. And, uh, I thought that was perfect because whenever I post it, I'm going to say, I mean, it's exactly right. You're it. It's the same reason why you pee whenever you're having a bowel movement because you're relaxing. Mm -hmm. Everything just kind of falls out, which is what you want. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the majority of men, and I don't know how deep you want to get into this, into the hypotheticals, but I would say the majority of men. Go for are, it. You've got the platform. Okay. I'd say the majority of men prior to having a prostate cancer, either diagnosis or going through that whole process, you know, the, the stage of life for the, the median stage of life for when men get diagnosed is like late fifties, early sixties. And, you know, thinking about where most men are during that time, they're, in higher positions in their job they've you know they've if they they've had a family usually the kids are on the way out to go to college tuition tuition yeah uh all this stuff high stress levels i would say the the easiest way that i've explained it to dudes once we've gotten on a certain comfort level i always ask 
I always ask my guys, like, how do you want to talk about this? Like, do you want me to call it a penis? Do you want me to call it? <laughs> what do you want to call it? And sometimes they say, just call it a dick. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we can call it a dick. You, we, we could say dick and balls. We could say D and Bs. We could say mm-hmm. twig and berries. It's fun to, it's yeah. fun to just allow them to, to say the proper or not even the proper. It's not by any means proper. Say the vernacular that they want to communicate on. What's comfortable to them. Yeah. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. cause it makes it like dude stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just totally forgot where I was going with that. No, that's good because I know I've had several guys comment to me how much they hate this whole specialty being called women's health. Yeah. Hey, I have a women's health therapist who can help you. And they're like, uh, yeah. hey, I'm not a lady. What's the deal? Yeah. I'm feeling I want to talk about that too. because That's a top down. <laughs> yeah. Issue. That, that puts barriers up for more people yeah. doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. No, but what I wanted to say about, the anatomy stuff okay mm-hmm. I basically boil it down to okay well you're you're tight ass like if you if you're doing a kegel all of it's just coming from you trying to close like pinch off a fart which mm-hmm. is this muscle and you have a whole lot of other muscles that control your bladder and because you've had this issue prior to the surgery now you're carrying it with you and you're trying to use your butt to stop your urine yeah and that's not how this stuff works right um so yeah i say i boil it down to a tight ass if we're uh if we're keeping it simple mm-hmm. um but yeah the, the like what are the chances of I, I i know we talked last time and you said most of the most of the dudes that get sent your way or not sent your way there they find you randomly on right. the internet. yeah yeah the uh the whole idea of women's health specialty i know i've i've done some history digging in the pelvic floor world and in the pelvic floor world they're not they're no longer calling it women's health they're calling it pelvic health right but even then there's no there's no route to take to become a men's pelvic health specialist. It's okay. You're going to go the women's pelvic health route. And then there's like two classes for True. dude. Yeah. And, but we want you to take the whole thing. I'm like, no, I'm not taking the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just create my own with someone else. And it's going to be a men's health residency or a yeah. men's health course. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, I'm not going back to physical therapy school to learn about how to treat stuff that I'm never going to treat just for the sake of getting an additional certification, you know? And I know the U S it really lags far behind countries like the UK, Australia, as far as men's health. Yeah. You know, a lot of the, the latest research and all that stuff uh, I find in Australia. Me too. UK. South Africa. Yeah. It's all from Australia and UK. Whenever I find the, whenever I'm looking up both urology and the, and pelvic health uh, research. We have a ways to go. This is step. Yes. Yeah. So if somebody 
wanted to start strength training. Yeah. Uh, do you actually work with people? I know you're in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge. Say there's somebody in New Orleans, or maybe even someone in, I don't know, Kentucky, who mm -hmm. wanted some help with this. Could they contact you and yeah. um, work with you even though you're not in the same city? Yeah, with the with the strength conditioning side of my practice, I could treat anyone anywhere. Well, it's not really treating; it's working with. Mm -hmm. um, and like a coach. Yeah, like a like a virtual coach or right. a, um, like anyone else that would program a, an eight week weightlifting cycle. It's okay. just you know with the intent of. I have in mind um, what kind of issues they're having mm -hmm. and we kind of curtail things from that based off more of um, how they move. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I would think with just a combination of maybe having prostate cancer treatment, you're still dealing with that. And we have the COVID restrictions. People aren't as active. They're, they're at home more. Right. Probably even more of a need for getting on the strength training. Yeah. yeah. What if you don't have any weights or weight equipment at home? Can you still do strength training? Yeah. With your body. Mm -hmm. Body weight, body weight still counts. Yeah. Now I, I would say it's not as ideal. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, going back to the idea of what we're talking about with the shoulder replacement. Oh, well I could lift my shoulder now. Well, can you put a five pound weight in it and put it kind of over your head? No. Okay. Well then we need to work on that. That kind of idea with only sticking to body weight exercises. It kind of misses the point of resistance because one, if you're only ever doing body weight stuff, then you're never really stressing you're not, you're not really going past the point of stressing it in a way that you could achieve with an outside force or weight. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also understand the psychology of compliance and getting, getting into the habit of, and for a lot of people that don't have, have not had access historically or have never really done it, you got to make it approachable. Yeah. So I'm all, I'm all for, you know, looking at, you know, equipment time. How many days a week do you, are you looking to do this? How many days a week do you think you could be compliant? If mm -hmm. typically it start, I, I typically start people out who have never done it before at three days a week. And, uh, that could look, that could look like anything really, but, in those instances, we typically start out with body weight and we kind of will say, okay, well, let's go through a trial run. You're going to do this, this, this for the next week. We'll recap at the end of the week, see how you're feeling going into next week and then play with volume and intensity. And then typically by like week three, if someone is doing it regularly, they're already feeling better because they're just moving more in general. And then we start talking, then I like, you know, hook, line and sink it with, 
Oh, well, have you thought about going to Academy or Dick's Sporting Goods and maybe picking up a kettlebell? And they're like, do you think that would help? And I was like, yeah, that would add a lot of variability to what I get to program for you. So it'll make it more fun. And they're like, I'm on my way. Yeah. It's not that expensive. It's small. It's yeah. Possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A dumbbell, a kettlebell, and some resistance bands. Okay. Is, is really all someone needs to get started. Mm-hmm. And that's like a $40 total. Yeah. If you buy it all together at a store or Amazon. Don't buy it from somewhere that's not going to Amazon Prime it because you might not get it for three yeah. weeks with the current <laughs> state of the union. <laughs> yes, yes. But Sounds like a very worthwhile investment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So. Yep. Cool. Well, I have another question for you. We were talking about, well, basically, back to the, the Kegels and Qs and dudes talk. Yeah. What is your favorite cue to you activate the correct pelvic floor muscles in a guy? Because the Kegels, they're made for women. Yeah. Activate those back muscles. Yeah. So we, we kind of have fun playing around with some of the cues and, and how goofy they are, but they work. So what, what have you found that works for your patients? Yeah. So, um, Joanne Milios from Australia is is probably the main researcher for prostate stuff Mm -hmm. in the physio world or physical therapy world. The rest of the world calls it physio. Us as Americans call it physical therapy. Uh, For whatever reason. (laughs) uh, It's like the metric system. We just have to be complicated and not use it. Um, I was reading, I was, I was taking a course from her and, um, I really like, I use one of hers all the time, which is nuts to guts. Nuts to guts. Nuts to that gut. one. Okay. Yeah. Lift the nuts to guts. Um, so I say hey that guys, if you're trying, if you're listening right now, I want you to try that. We're not actually watching. We're, We're not watching. watching. Yes. So, so it's safe to try. Yeah. Uh, nuts to guts is is one that I use whenever um, I'm teaching the knack or then getting a hang of of using the pelvic floor muscles to to preemptively perform a movement like sitting up out of a chair or if they're about to cough or sneeze. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that, that that typically helps guys feel it more, more of the mid-range, more of like the perineum, or if we're on good speaking terms, the gooch uh-huh. <laughs> is what most dudes will elect to call it. Um, and then for the front side, I typically say, Think of, think of your penis as being the head uh, of a turtle and you're retracting it into the shell. Yes. So like a, like a pullback or like an elephant trunk and you're lifting the trunk. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
the front side. I use the pull the turtle's head back in the shell. Yeah, that's that's probably the second go to. The second favorite, yes. The second. What's your first? The first, I don't know if it's the favorite. It's probably not the favorite because I get a lot of looks and I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, just do it. Pretend. Pretend you're shortening your penis. Okay. I'm like, I know nobody wants to do that, but it really does activate those front muscles. And they've actually, somebody signed up for a study on this. Oh, really? Yes. There's research out there that that, that Q plus the turtle Q are two of the most effective for getting those front, those anterior pelvic floor muscles activated, which oh. is what guys need. To be able to do it. Yeah. Yep. yep. Those are your sex muscles. Yep. Did you hear way, that, guys? Say that again. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> those muscles are involved with sex. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> way, way more important. Well, depending on your priorities, than pooping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For most men. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is like, it's like anything else. If you, if you oversimplify a thing, typically it, it's going to irritate people that look deeper into it. Mm -hmm. But from a purely anatomical standpoint, like, most men, most people have no idea that they even have a pelvic floor, much less that it's, that it's basically like a sling. Yeah. And it holds your, it holds your insides in from the bottom. It's the bottom of the Coke can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it, it's, it's funny to me to observe how most men just use their butt. And Joanne I think she did a study um, that looked at that. Like most men prior to being taught is usually butt dominant mm -hmm. uh, rather than using the whole thing. Right. The butt has nothing to do with the D and B's. Mm -hmm. you know? It's there, but it's not the same. It's not the same muscles. Yeah. Yeah. So just doing squats to strengthen your glutes isn't going to really help your pelvic floor much, right? Nope. Nope. Thank you. Because <laughs> there is, especially with, with female fitness, a thing going around that, you know, oh, you just need to strengthen your glutes or just do more squats and that'll help your pelvic floor. I'm like, not really. You know, they can be what we call accessory muscles. And sometimes, like with my elderly patients who just can't get that pelvic floor activated, I'll use that to get a little overflow. Um, but in general, it's like, nope, gotta, you know, learn to retrain it like you would any other muscle in your body. Yeah. So that skeletal muscle, it, it applies to the same principles of training, like, like that shoulder. You know, so you can get your shoulder up. Right. Instead of just, wow, I have great shoulder function. Look at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I explain it like it's uh it's like a band. Mm -hmm. they, whenever they're whenever they're functioning all together, they're all working, but you also have to be able to play a solo. Yes. Um, it's you know, the the idea that you can all 
that you have to always use your glutes to be able to use your pelvic floor. That's not the most functional thing. Right. Yeah. Got to be able to play that sol solo. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let's see. Anything else you want to share with us? I think we covered it. Yeah. I got all, I got all the the fun stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Good. It's it's. I think it's fun to talk pelvic floor, and um, you know, just encouraging guys. You know, and guys, if you're listening and you do have those problems, not with enlarged prostate or prostate cancer, and you kind of feel like medical systems let you down after your treatment's over, um, check out pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, how would somebody contact you, William? Uh, I have an Instagram and a Facebook. Website is under construction. Okay. Uh, the Instagram is connected to the Facebook. So you could just type in Doc Mills dot, as in like a period, DPT, um, or email me okay. at info at docmillsdpt.com would okay. be the easiest way. Okay. And you're in Baton Rouge. I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And do you do telehealth? I do. People in Louisiana? Great. Okay. And um, yeah, somebody had asked me once, can you do virtual PT for this? Yeah. I say, yeah, you can. It's surprising yeah. how much you can accomplish virtually. And I know a lot of guys with prostate cancer, they don't want to go to a clinic necessarily. Right. Go in person. So this would be a really super nice way to, you know, get your man parts in order, as I say. And just, you know, start getting more active, start working on the strength, um, just for general health as well. Yep. So thank you very much. This was yeah. great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to sign off here. And this is uh, Laura McKaig with Laura McKaig Physical Therapy, wishing you all a great rest of the day. Thanks, Laura. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're still trying to find answers to the problems you have in the bedroom or the bathroom, go to www.lauramccagept.com and schedule a free phone consultation with Laura. She'd be more than happy to speak to you. Until then, we'll see you next time.